This is an ABC News special, Crisis in Ukraine. Russia has attacked Ukraine. This is a brutal act of war. These are among the darkest hour for Europe since the end of World War II. Peace on our continent has been shattered. He intends to destroy or completely disarm the Ukrainian military. Effective immediately, we are ceasing all export permits for Russia and canceling existing permits. We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day, and week by week. Putin's aggression against Ukraine will end up costing Russia dearly, economically and strategically. We all feel, I think, some kind of threat, uh, but we're remaining rational through it. We're forcing ourselves to stay calm. Make no mistake, it's not a military operation or whatever it was called yesterday. It's a war against Ukraine. Here is correspondent Alex Stone. Tonight, the world is a very different place than it was 24 hours ago. War is unfolding in Europe, the first act of large conventional warfare in Europe since World War II. UN, NATO, and G7 allies are banding together condemning Russia, but to what end? Russia is moving forward doing what it wants. It's advancing on some of Ukraine's biggest cities. Kyiv is in danger tonight, fighting today even over the Chernobyl nuclear zone. And there is a real threat that Russia will go after Ukraine's leadership. Tonight, Ukrainian President Zelensky saying he is in hiding, that he is target number one, his family target number two. We have a lot to talk about tonight, from what is unfolding to the U.S. response to the impact on us here at home and gas prices. I want to begin by going to Ukraine. ABC's Aaron Katursky is in Lviv, Ukraine. It is early morning there right now. Aaron, good evening to you. And Alex, good evening. The The Russian advance is being contested, but 24 hours after the invasion began, it does appear to be moving ahead. Russian troops are closing in on the capital. The Ukrainian defense minister warned just a short time ago here that a new wave of attacks, including with paratroopers, is going to begin at some point soon. There's already been heavy fighting north of Kyiv and in the eastern city of Kharkiv, the the second largest city in the country. Ukrainian President Zelensky said more than 130 people have already been killed and more than 300 wounded. These are just the early casualties because the assessment we keep hearing from the U.S. and, and other Western allies is that this is still the early stages of this invasion. The Ukrainian president ordered a general mobilization calling up men of fighting age and reservists to stand alongside the Ukrainian military and defend the country. Aaron, let's talk about that. In Lviv and elsewhere, what are Ukrainians doing that the call has gone out for men to to pick up arms and for that we now know there are curfews in place, uh, that that the laws have been changing in Lviv, what are they doing now? Are they hunkering down? Are they getting out? Are they worried? You know, I, I think they are certainly more than they were just 24 hours ago when, when I'm not sure everyone here quite registered the, the possibility. They'd heard the warnings. But for the last eight years, the, the, the Ukrainians have been fighting the Russians in these little enclaves in the east. These are the same areas where President Putin uh, declared independence from Ukraine. And, and even 
even that, you know, is so far removed from the the very modern capital of Kiev. And in this city here in Lviv, in Western Ukraine, is is a is a tech capital. There's a coffee culture that wouldn't be out of place in in Los Angeles or New York. Uh, and, and so maybe people didn't feel like it was going to to happen in the way that things have unfolded across the country. Uh, today we saw people standing in line at banks, very long lines at banks at pharmacies. Uh, as they tried to secure money and prescriptions for some potentially dark days ahead. What are Russian troops doing right now? Putin claims that they are peacekeeping, that they are there to root out Nazis, claims that the bear no truth. Uh, you talk about paratroopers. We've seen the explosions going off. Are they moving it on foot? Are they in tanks? How are they moving? Yeah, they're they're in tanks and armored personnel carriers. We've seen satellite imagery, the the latest coming just a, a couple of hours ago that that showed troops on the move, and they're coming in to squeeze the 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 country from three different sides. They're moving across the Russian border in the east. They're coming down from Belarus in the north, and they're coming up from Crimea in the south, and and all kind of maybe converging uh, to to control the country ultimately. Now, President Putin has said. He does not want to occupy this place, but it sure feels like that that may well be the goal. And no one's sure exactly how this ends. I mean, we're a long ways from, from ending. The, the ground war really hasn't even started yet. And, and the, the U.S. believes that the uh, full air power of the, the Russian military has still not been fully unleashed. So there, there's a lot more to come. And, and so far... A lot of this has been military to military fighting, military targets being struck. The Russians say they have no intention of, of hitting civilians, but that's uh, of scant comfort here. ABC's Aaron Gutersky. Aaron, we'll come back to you a little bit later. I want to turn now to the White House. ABC's Karen Travers. Karen, today, President Biden announcing new sanctions, but again, many are saying not enough. And the president said today, though, that these new sanctions will impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. It was a message we heard echoed uh, by the press secretary in a briefing tonight and the top administration official who's been crafting these sanctions. The president today called out what he says is the naked aggression of Vladimir Putin. And he said this was an assault without provocation, without justification. He called it a premeditated attack without necessity. So the administration has put these sanctions on Russian banks, the freezing the assets of the four largest Russian banks. They're also targeting billionaire oligarchs and imposing export controls so that as the president said that Russia won't be able to uh, finance and grow its military so that Russia can't uh, continue to compete or try to compete in a high-tech 21st century economy. One thing that was interesting, though, and this is something that the president himself had said was on the table, they stopped short today of personally sanctioning Russian President Putin himself or cutting Russia out of the swift international banking system. We were talking to officials and sanctions experts over the course of the afternoon after the president spoke and asked Alex, there was clearly a message that the administration felt this was as severe as they could go right now while still maintaining unity and cohesion with the United States and European allies. But still, they're saying that should this situation escalate in the coming weeks or even months, they have more options that they could turn to. Well, and you talk about escalating. Mm -hmm. If Putin were to go beyond Ukraine, we know there are a lot of U.S. assets in Poland mm -hmm. right now and, and elsewhere 
What would the president do? The president made it very clear today, as we've heard him say before, U.S. forces will not be engaged in conflict with Russia in Ukraine, that forces are going to Eastern Europe to help fortify, defend NATO allies and reassure those allies in Eastern Europe. But the question came up today to the president if Putin uh, was looking to move beyond Ukraine and he if he was concerned about that and what that would mean for U.S. military involvement. The president said the U.S. would need to defend allies, but that right now the focus is on trying to keep Vladimir Putin in check. But Alex, the president said that he believes Putin has much larger ambitions than Ukraine, that he feels he wants to reestablish the former Soviet Union. And President Biden was clear that if Putin did move into NATO countries, the United States will be involved. And the concern about escalating. Do Mm -hmm. we know anything about concerns over a nuclear threat from the White House uh, looking at Putin? Are they worried about that at all tonight? The president was asked this question by our colleague Cecilia Vega, and he said he didn't know what Putin was planning. And that question came up at the White House briefing with Jen Psaki, asking to expand on that or maybe clarify, give more light into what the president was thinking. And she reiterated those comments that they're not going to get into Vladimir Putin's head and they're not going to engage in hypotheticals. Still, we heard from the president uh, and senior officials today that they do believe this is something that could last for several weeks, maybe months, and that this is going to be a very, very challenging time for the people of Ukraine. A long road left to go. Karen Travers at the White House. Thank you. We'll talk to you later this hour. In fact, this is what the president said today about Putin. Putin's aggression against Ukraine will end up costing Russia dearly economically and strategically. We will make sure of that. Putin will be a pariah on the international stage. Tonight, all U.S. diplomats are out of Ukraine. They're in Poland. Ukraine being seen as too unsafe for them. They'll remain in Poland no plan to travel to Ukraine for now. Up next, Kiev under threat. We'll go to Kiev and what can stop Putin at this point on this ABC News special. You're listening to an ABC News special, Crisis in Ukraine. Once again, here is correspondent Alex Stone. It is now early morning in Ukraine. It's been nearly 24 hours of fighting. We know the Chernobyl nuclear zone may now be in the hands of Russia. That's only an hour's drive away from Kyiv. There's been a lot of fighting there. ABC's Patrick Revel is in Kyiv. He has been doing incredible work there for weeks for us. Patrick, what's it like on the ground there now? You know, there's a sort of funereal atmosphere, I would say, in Kyiv, to be honest with you. Um, it's been very, very quiet and getting kind of more eerily quiet in the city center. At the same time, there's been more and more people leaving in cars, heading west, basically trying just to head west towards um, towards Europe, basically, um, with people getting more and more concerned about whether, whether Russian forces might approach the capital. We've heard all of the U.S. warnings about maybe Russia wanting to, to take Kyiv, and all indications are that's where this may be going. Is there an expectation among those in Kyiv right now that the troops are coming, the Russians are coming, and they're going to be under that control here pretty soon? I think the situation is becoming more and more worrying um, and becoming increasingly, the threat against the capital is becoming increasingly serious because basically about 20 miles from where I'm sitting right now, Russian special forces landed in a huge helicopter attack involving about 20 helicopters. They landed at an airbase that's located just on the edge of Kiev. 
and it's called an Antonov airport. Um, and, and basically they landed there and they took control of the airfield. And this was several hours ago. And of, of course the Ukrainians attempted to retake control of the airfield, but so far have failed and seem unable to regain control of it. I think that's obviously a very, very worrying sign because it suggests that they are not finding the forces right now to retake this airport. At the same time, there's a, a large force, a much, much larger force coming down from Belarus that are coming down through Chernobyl, through the Chernobyl exclusion zone. And so on the one hand, of course, you know, absolutely, it's very worrying that there is fighting going on around the Chernobyl uh, nuclear power station. It's obviously not a good thing. But one of the most worrying things is actually there's just the sheer geographical location, because actually Chernobyl is only about 65 miles north of where I'm sitting, north of Kiev. And so, and at the moment, what we're hearing from the Ukrainians is that the, the Russians have taken control of the Chernobyl exclusion zone. They've taken control of the area around the plant. And that mean, and that's after intense fighting. And so that means that the Ukrainians have essentially had to fall back. And so what we're concerned about right now is that you have the sort of tip of the spear of these special forces at this base, and you have the rest of the spear, which is tanks and artillery and, ar and other armored vehicles trying to push down through Chernobyl and onto the capital. And the fear is, and I've heard this from Ukrainian officials, that the fear is that Russia will attempt to encircle the capital. And I think the belief is that Russia right now is trying to get to a point where it can force the Ukrainian government to surrender. We heard Vladimir Putin call on the Ukrainian soldiers to put down their arms. Are they fighting back? We know there was some fighting uh, around Chernobyl, but elsewhere. Are they completely outmatched and are they able to fight back? So the Ukrainian army is putting up, I think, a pretty ferocious fight. Um, they are fighting on all fronts. They're fighting on at least four fronts. They're fighting in the east. They're fighting in the north. They're fighting where they're being attacked from Crimea. And they're fighting in the northeast as well. And, you know, they are they have been holding the Russians in some places, particularly in the east. But the thing is that for eight years, they have been preparing themselves in the east. They have a very heavily fortified front line. Um, in the east near these separatist regions that Russia has recognized. But up in the north, for a long time, there wasn't deemed to be a threat up in the north above, above Ukraine because uh, it was Belarus. And Belarus had actually charted a kind of neutral course between Russia and Ukraine. And so the Ukrainians didn't feel a threat from Belarus. But that's all changed because of huge protests that happened in Belarus um, a couple of years ago. And the leader there, the authoritarian leader, Alexander Lukashenko is a, is a client of Vladimir Putin and now has allowed him to put a huge, huge force up there, which have now today, as we've seen, come pouring over the border. Patrick, I know you talked about people leaving Kiev, but are they scared? Yeah, absolutely. Um, people, are, people are very afraid. I think people are in a state of shock, almost physical shock. When you look at people, I think until literally uh, a day ago, I think people just didn't believe it would happen. I think they thought if it if it did, it would be some kind of escalation in the east, but it wouldn't be an attack on on the capital. It wouldn't be a mass barrage, and yeah, people are very very frightened and very very shocked. I, th I think people just really are struggling to believe what is happening. ABC's Patrick Revol in Kiev. Patrick, thank you. Be safe. With me now, Mick Mulroy, an ABC News contributor, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East. Retired Marine, senior CIA paramilitary ops. Mr. Mulroy, you're watching this unfold. Is there anything the U.S. can do that will stop Putin now? Do any of these sanctions mean anything to him? So, unfortunately, it looks like everything that the uh, U.S. intelligence agencies predicted is playing out. 
and that is a tragedy. Uh, but to the point of your question, sanctions are needed. Sanctions should be as severe as possible, but unfortunately, I believe President Putin has already taken those sanctions into his calculation when he decided to do this. So it's very unlikely that they would stop this uh, current uh, operation and this invasion of uh, Ukraine. What in your mind will end this? Will it be the full occupation of all of Ukraine? Where does this end? Is it years from now, in a week from now? Are they going to say we've done what we want to do? Where does it go? So I think it will be years from now if it ends at all, because there is it's very unlikely that uh, President Putin would leave any ungoverned spaces left in Ukraine. So if he seeks to take Kyiv, Kharkiv, and some of these major metropolitan areas, uh, he would not want to leave large spaces uh, unoccupied because that would simply give insurgents uh, an area to launch operations against him as he occupies uh, Ukraine. So this, even though I totally agree that the Ukrainian army is, by all uh, reports, putting up a fallacious fight, they are vastly outnumbered. This is a David and Goliath type situation. So within weeks, most people, most analysts predict that, uh, it, that the significant military resistance will be over. But that will then go into the resistance phase, the insurgency phase, and that could last years, if not decades, especially if they have a safe haven in neighboring countries and they're supported by the United States. If you were right now at the DOD or in the, the CIA, how worried would you be about this going beyond Ukraine? Or is Putin smart enough to say, I'm not doing that, that the rebuilding the, the Soviet empire, we're not going to be able to do that with, with NATO and, and other uh, organizations? Is, is it going to end here in your mind? So I would be very worried because, you know, you have a situation where you're having a raging conventional uh, conflict, a war in a country that borders NATO. We are, and I think we're rightfully doing this, sending thousands of troops to bolster our NATO allies in Eastern Europe. This places the U.S., the significant combat power, next to Russia, the significant power. Uh, if anything could happen. I would hope that uh, Vladimir Putin would be smart enough to realize that any actions toward NATO went in his demise. But it's not necessarily something he could control since he's unleashed his army into the Ukraine. And things happen that, uh, even if it was unintentional, could cause this to escalate, and that would be in nobody's Mick, in the uh, 30, 40 seconds uh, we have left here, uh, for the leadership of Ukraine, they're in hiding tonight. They, they, we're hearing from Zelensky. He's saying he is enemy number one or, or he is target number one of the enemy. In the end, will, will he be gone as the president of Ukraine? So I do think, and this has been reported, that the Russians, the GRU, their Spetsnaz, which is this, their version of the CIA and their special operations, are targeting key leaders, and it's very clear that uh, President Zelensky would be on the top of that list. I would hope that he would do everything to secure his own safety, not just for himself, but he's also a representative of the democracy that is the Ukraine. And, and if need be, he should seek uh, safe haven in another country. 
Mick, thank you very much. Up next, one Ukrainian's desperate feelings on this ABC News special. You're listening to an ABC News special, Crisis in Ukraine. Once again, here is correspondent Alex Stone. Welcome back. It is now Friday in Ukraine and Kyiv is under threat at this hour. Russian military forces are moving closer. In Russia today, protests against war. That is a risky thing to do in Putin's Russia. I want to go back to ABC's Aaron Katursky in Lviv, Ukraine. Aaron? Alex, before we go from here in Lviv, I wanted to introduce you to my friend Natalia Kushnir, who I met here Eight years ago. Eight years ago. Almost. In Kyiv. In Kyiv. And you're here now with whatever's happening. Happening. How are you doing? Uh, Not so good. Sorry. I'm a bit confused, you know? It's a confusing time. Yeah. I really don't know what to say. I'm stuck with my thoughts. You have a family? You have a mom in Kiev? Yes, I have a family. I have mom, and she has cats, and she has husband. And uh, I have a lot of friends, and I have a lot of uh, children of my friends who are very important for me, and they have not where to move because we cannot move from Kiev, all of us. Uh, it's like super stupid. I'm sorry, and it's impossible to move uh, if you... Uh, couple of dozens of uh, millions of people and if we move to okay to west to Poland so then Poland will have to move somewhere else western so it will never be over people in the United States may not understand it's it's not easy to just flee what has become a war zone we've seen pictures of traffic jams and people jumping in their cars but as you say where do you where do you go uh, now I'm in Lviv it's western Ukraine and it's pretty much safe place for now. Uh, but on the one hand, uh, missiles can come here as well as they can come to Kyiv. On the other hand, I'm heading to Kyiv uh, this night because I have family there. You're headed back and, there. Yes, and I have my heart there. So I don't know where to move. Though I have friends who already uh, escaped from Kyiv uh, and they are hidden to west, I don't know where, to Poland or somewhere else. It's hard to understand as a foreigner when you have your heart in a place that is under attack, what that feels like. Uh, it's hard, you know, to understand even for me. I'm not a foreigner for myself because it's impossible to understand and to accept for every normal person. And in my life, I met a lot of person and mostly all of them were normal. So I think that it doesn't matter from which country you are. Uh, you, you just cannot accept and understand that a lot of troops from, uh, from next country, they just come to, to, to invade to your country, but they say that they want to protect you. Okay, we don't need protection. We are totally okay. Just don't touch us. When we met eight years ago, um, people in, in, in this country were, were fighting for themselves. And here we are eight years later, and they're still fighting for themselves against now the Russians. Yes, because we do not have any intention to attack someone else. We are pretty okay with our country, with our borders, with our territory. We don't need more because Ukraine is 
already a pretty big country, uh, one of the biggest country in Europe, and we don't need more. And uh, this is all not true when Russian Russians say that we want uh, to attack Russia or to attack uh, Belarus to to seize Moscow or to seize Minsk. It's totally not true. We are totally okay with our territory. Can we please see each other again under more normal circumstances? I would really like that. This is my dream. And I really want it to come to be true. Stay well. Safe travels. I will try. I will do my best. Thank you, Aaron. My friend Natalia Kushnir from Kiev, here with us in Lviv, but she's headed back there. As you heard her say, Alex, it's where her heart is. Moving, and thank you to Natalia for telling her story as well, Aaron. Just as the U.S. had predicted, Ukrainians are now fleeing to Poland. They are jamming roads between Lviv to the border. Some are waiting hours to get out. Their cars are packed. They're trying to flee to safety. ABC's Matt Gutman is along the Ukraine-Poland border now. And Matt, tell me where you are and and what you're seeing. Alex, you might be able to hear the rumble of this uh, train right next to me. We uh, are at the train station in Shemishil, which is a town right on the Ukrainian border. And it's really the first stop and the first major train station in Poland. And that's where a train just pulled in, bearing many hundreds of, I don't know what else to call them at this point, but I guess they're the refugees, people fleeing the conflict in Ukraine right now. Uh, that train came from Lviv, which is about normally a two and a half hour ride. It took about four, according to the people who got off earlier. And these people are just fleeing there. They've got kids in tow. They've got bags, not a tremendous amount of baggage. One woman told me she has what she needs for a couple of months. She doesn't know how long this is going to last or where she's going to need to go. But she's got two pairs of jeans, uh, an extra pair of sneakers, her winter coat and a bathing suit, because you never know, she said. What are their plans? Where are they going to go? I picture you arrive in another country. What do they do? Do you get a hotel room? Are there refugee areas being set up? Where do they go? It's an excellent question. There are a million Ukrainians living in Poland right now. So some of these people have family or friends or some connections with whom they can spend the night at least. Uh, We spoke to that one woman who's just hanging out at the train station right now. She's got a ticket for Krakow. She doesn't know if she's going to go. She's trying to meet up with a friend of hers, but her she doesn't have an itinerary. And it, it was so emotional to hear her talk about leaving her country. She said, I, if I was going to leave my country for good, I wanted it to be on my terms. I didn't want a war to push me out of my home. She said she said goodbye to her mother earlier today, and she didn't know if she'd ever see her again. Matt, the families who are leaving, uh, are they in shock that this is actually happening because Ukrainian leaders had been saying, don't worry about it, that they're not going to come in? Now we see it's, it's really going on. Are they surprised or are they saying, well, we, we knew it was coming? They are shocked at the speed with which this has happened. Many of them, including that woman and some others, said, well, you know, we thought we had days, maybe a week. But they didn't expect the situation to deteriorate that quickly. Maybe they didn't expect the fear level to rise as quickly. And by the way, it seeped over the border. Uh, There are gas lines all over Poland today. People just filling up just in case. People going to the market just in case. Some banks are limiting the, the amount of cash you can take out. There is palpable fear in this part of Europe because of that invasion into Ukraine. There is a tremendous amount of uncertainty right now. 
ABC's Matt Gutman on the U.S.-Poland border. Up next, how Americans are being impacted at home by what is unfolding. You're listening to an ABC News special, Crisis in Ukraine, from ABC News. You're listening to an ABC News special, Crisis in Ukraine. Once again, here is correspondent Alex Stone. What is unfolding tonight in Ukraine will have a direct impact on Americans and in short order. Oil prices are skyrocketing. Russia is the world's second largest producer of oil, and that means all of this has a real impact on all of us. When oil rises, everything gets more expensive. Gas will shoot up. It'll cost more to ship things and to fly on airplanes. Patrick Dahan is the oil analyst at Gas Buddy, watching the impact on gas prices. Patrick, good evening. Uh, what does all of this mean for us, the American consumer? Well, certainly higher gasoline prices are coming. For Americans, uh, they can expect the national average likely to hit 375 a gallon in the next two weeks. Americans will likely start paying today's jump in oil as soon as later tonight, with increases likely to continue for the next one to two weeks. Wow, already by tonight. What are we looking at time-wise? Is this a long-term thing? Is this going to be the new normal? Are they going to go up, come right back down? Unless there is some drastic improvement in the situation, we will continue to see gasoline prices rise as we head towards Memorial Day weekend. Uh, unfortunately, we are not going to get any breaks. We have the Russia situation. We have seasonal factors. The nation is beginning to transition to more expensive summer gasoline. A refinery explosion earlier this week will likely have some impact as refineries are starting maintenance ahead of the summer. Yeah, I mean, this is the time of the year when they go up anyway, but now you add this on to it. So prices remain high. Worst case scenario, what are we looking at? Uh, you know, I, I continue to believe that the national average will reach $4 a gallon potentially here in the next one to two months. Um, you know, if the situation worsens, uh, worsens, it's not impossible that we will eventually set a new all-time high if we breach that $4.10 a gallon mark. Uh, that's something that could happen. Uh, and should the uh, situation uh, be the most dire, we could see the national average eventually getting to four fifty a gallon. But there's a lot of things that could change between now and then. A potential nuclear deal with Iran is around the corner. Seemingly, that certainly could soften the blow of any uh, uh, risk from Russia. What about the the one outlier that there always is, California, where I am right now, where gas is always extremely expensive. We're already paying around five bucks a gallon in many areas, way beyond the the national average. Uh, It's a a bit below five dollars, the average in California right now. But we've heard estimates of seven or eight dollar gas. How bad could California get, which is always so high compared to everywhere else? I think California is, uh, you know, just a week or two away from seeing that $5 a gallon average. They stand at 477 today. California could reach 550 a gallon on average. And in a worst case, it's not impossible that the state average in California could hit that $6 mark. Oh, I don't like to hear that. Patrick DeHana, Gas Buddy. Patrick, thank you. I jump now to ABC's Elizabeth Schulze. She's covering the economic impacts. And Elizabeth, gas is something that Americans are feeling right now. I know my wife just went and filled up and it was almost five bucks where we are but this goes beyond gas the markets today reeling yeah no doubt alex and that's really one of the biggest places we're seeing the impact on americans you probably don't want to check your 401k account if you're trying to look at those day-to-day movements it has been incredibly choppy trading just because of these tensions between really the outlook, how it's going to be going forward. Traders do not like uncertainty. We've already seen the S&P 500 down about 10% from a recent high. And this situation has injected a lot more uncertainty in the market. That's one of the reasons 
why the price of gold, for example, went up. Interestingly, the price of Bitcoin has actually gone down. So some of the more risky assets looking a lot less likely to be a place where you might want to have your money right now as we wait to see how this uncertainty plays out, Alex. Elizabeth, those sanctions are meant to hit Russia, but but already a lot of people are saying, oh, they're not going to do a whole lot. What will they do? You know, these sanctions are a significant step when it comes to trying to cripple Russia's economy. So the steps that were announced today by President Biden, including freezing assets on Russian banks and elites and then putting in those export controls, will have long-term consequences. It's particularly these export controls. It sounds technical, but really what this means is that Russia is going to have a hard time getting access to critical parts and technology. So it won't be able to obtain things like semiconductor parts or software that it needs to really build out industry and military going forward. That could have an impact on the competitiveness of the Russian economy going forward. You know, a lot of analysts who I've been talking to say this is a long game here, but also these sanctions on the banks, that could have a more immediate impact. You know, 80% of Russian assets are now targeted by these sanctions from the U.S. and its allies. That means that banks won't be able to get financing from other countries. That could cause bank runs, and there could be ripple effects all the way down to the average Russian household. You know, one former Treasury official I talked to said the bottom line is that the sanctions will impact the average Russians and that they will feel the cost of this. How much that's going to trickle into the global economic outlook depends on if President Putin takes any retaliatory steps in response to these sanctions, Alex. And this is going to go on for a long time. ABC's Elizabeth Scholze. Elizabeth, thank you. Uh, tonight, the civilian airspace over all of Ukraine is empty. Looking at radar here, not a single airliner in the sky. All are going around through neighboring countries. The airspace now shut down 24 hours ago. There were a lot of airliners. Up next, we'll go back to the White House and back to Ukraine on this ABC News special. You're listening to an ABC News special, Crisis in Ukraine. Once again, here is correspondent Alex Stone. Tonight, we are seeing heart-wrenching scenes of families deciding to send women and children out of Ukraine, families being separated, trains bringing what can be described as refugees into Poland. That while new sanctions are in place. Final thought from ABC's Karen Travers at the White House. Alex, President Biden said that these new U.S. sanctions will impose severe costs on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. But the president was pushed on what it would take to stop Vladimir Putin, since the severe sanctions the Biden administration has been threatening for weeks didn't stop Putin from attacking Ukraine. No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show this is going to take time. But top administration officials have said exactly that. Vice President Harris on Sunday said the purpose of sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The administration's top official crafting the sanctions said on Tuesday that the sanctions serve a higher purpose to deter and prevent a large scale invasion. But that's exactly what we're seeing now in Ukraine. Alex. Karen Travers at the White House. Karen, thank you. The human suffering only beginning. Families in Ukraine have gone from believing this would not actually happen, that's what their leaders were telling them, to tonight their lives are in chaos. Back to ABC's Aaron Katursky in Lviv, Ukraine, as a new morning dawns. 
Alex, there is so much uncertainty and confusion sown into people's lives here now. People have driven to the Polish border where they're in long waits to cross. They've boarded trains with hopes of reaching safer ground. Some simply, though, cannot leave. Martial law now means a certain category of citizen is stuck. Men ages 18 to 60 are temporarily prohibited from leaving Ukraine. And there are those who can go nowhere for other reasons. They're grounded by obligations, by a lack of resources, maybe a sense of pride in place, a reluctance to leave where their heart is at home. And the threat is to all of this country. Just a few days ago, the world became enraged when Russian President Putin declared two relatively small areas in eastern Ukraine independent from the rest of the country. Tonight, his warplanes and soldiers are spread across Ukraine, their ultimate goals known only to the one man controlling their moves. It's nearly three in the morning here now, Alex. Sunrise is not far off, but there are still hours and hours of darkness facing this nation. Very true, Aaron. Thank you for all of your work. Tonight, fighting has intensified in a war that seemed like it was relegated to history books. Russia has moved into Ukraine in a way the U.S. said it would, now cutting off cities, and Russian fighter jets are flying over large populated areas. There will be a vote tomorrow by the U.N. to condemn this and to call for Russia to withdraw. But does it really matter? Putin doing what he wants, pushing into the country that he said he believes is Russian by blood. It is morning in Ukraine on a Friday of uncertainty over what this weekend will bring. Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S. is calling for more sanctions on Russia. For my colleagues, I'm Alex Stone, ABC News. ABC News, winner of nine Edward R. Murrow Awards, including overall excellence in both television and radio. ABC News, America's number one news source. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. 